The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's another one of the favorites of our guest today, Robert Townsend, who has been, without a doubt, the most prolific producer of albums of film music uh, in history, to be honest. Uh, we continue our conversation here in part two, where we'll continue to explore his favorite cues, as well as some of the fascinating stories and uh, passion that he has for film music. We pick it up here talking about uh, compilation albums. You've mentioned several times uh, that you've put together uh, compilation albums or or concept albums. Is that a concept that still is popular? Is there an appetite out there with the buying public? Uh, yeah, there is. And, and it's something that I love. I love presenting film music in that way where there's like an overriding theme or concept behind the program and have done things so it, it happens both to my in my recordings and in my concerts and and more often um, now where I really even see there being a synergy between the recordings and the concerts, you know, more than ever before. And one of the great examples of that was in 2015, I created a show called 1985 at the Movies, and this celebrated what was the 30th anniversary of all of the great film music that was written in 1985. Mm. And it was an amazing year. We had Alan Silvestri doing Back to the Future. We had Dave Grusin doing The Goonies. We had John Barry's Out of Africa win the Oscar that year. The other nominees were George Delarue's Agnes of God, Masterpiece, Bruce Broughton, Silverado, Maurice Jarre, Witness, uh, Quincy Jones, The Color Purple. John Corleano's Revolution and Michael Kamen's Brazil and David Shire's Return to Oz. An amazing crop of, of film, film music that year with so many composers writing some of the best scores of their careers. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith had Legend and Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Mm -hmm. And so I had the idea initially as a concert that I wanted uh, that I was going to present in Los Angeles, but then realized, well, 
it would be great to get into the studio and record these pieces because I was preparing special versions of things. I had Chris Leonard's did a, an arrangement of Michael Kamen's Brazil, and we created a Brazil concert piece for the first time. Things like that. So there were unique pieces of film music being included on this program. And so presenting all of these in concert and then on album was an example of the synergy that I like to build between the recordings and concerts. And so I had David Newman conduct an orchestra that I created called the Varese Saraband Symphony Orchestra. We, mm. recorded, we recorded at 20th Century Fox on the Newman scoring stage with a group of all-star L.A. players. And we really put together the all-star of all-star orchestras. And it was it, it was incredible, really special project. One of Sarah Anden's pieces, she played uh, John Barry's A View to a Kill for flute and orchestra. I saw uh, that. Man. So, so beautiful. And, um, and all the great scores that I mentioned earlier. So this was a great example of that. I did a program called Alien, the Biomechanical Symphony. We um, presented this in Krakow and in Tenerife, which was music from all three of the Alien films, plus you know, some encores from some of the Alien versus Predator and things like that. And so these these compilation, though, uh, th there's still an appetite out there for it, of, uh, w w whether it be a theme of a from a, con a particular composer or or a year, like you've mentioned, and that sort of thing. There, there's yeah. still a good appetite for that. Indeed. Okay. <clears throat> Indeed. And, and the Cinema Morricone project is an example of that. That was, a, yeah. you know, that's 15 different scores of Morricone's in that to uh, CD set. Take you down memory lane, you had made a note on your uh, list of favorites to uh, highlight your very first album production. And that was, as you've talked about already earlier, uh, The Final Conflict, a score written by Jerry Goldsmith. Is there, uh, other than this, uh, you know, going, having an attachment to it emotionally, is there any other reason why you would include that on your list of favorites? Well, it's, it's one of my favorite scores, just period. I think what he achieved in that score was developing his ideas from the omen, where Jerry was always really interesting that he would approach sequels in a unique way that had them connected to the previous score, but in a, in a way that was not necessarily overt. The thread connecting them could be, could be thin, but he would always work to develop and take the music into a new direction. And, and so, in the, you know, whether it's in the Rambo films or the Omen films, you would see his ideas develop and change while going through a saga, a series of, or a franchise of films. Mm -hmm. And the Omen started stylistically in the world of the Black Mass, but it ended in the operatic. By the third score, it became very operatic, and the finale is absolutely operatic so glorious where he captures in music the second coming of christ and as damien is defeated he falls to his knees at the you know in this in this old church and goldsmith develops this stunningly beautiful melody in a way that's rosia-esque i mean it's so mm. glorious and, and beautiful and did I understand right? Maybe I got it wrong. This originally wasn't going to be released on on a on a recording. Very true. In fact, actually, it wasn't released. The huh. movie came out in 1981, and there was no soundtrack release. 
There wasn't a soundtrack released until I came along, started my own company, and released it in 1986. So five years later. Oh, so so this is a re-recording, not not so, no, no. so-called original. No, no, it is the original. It's oh, the okay. original recording. So it's the National Philharmonic of London with the Ambrosian Singers released on album for the first time. So it's the actual score from the film, but it had never been released. Mm. God bless you. That's uh, that's that's what excites me so much about a lot of the work that you've done is that uh, you know you've recognized that's that deserves to be out there for people to be able to hear. Let's absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's have a listen to this. This is this is yeah, this is from the final conflict. Yeah, is the, it like the, the finale? The the scene I just dis- discussed where Damien kind of drops in his, at his knees and uh, stares towards a a Christ figure on the cross, and he says, "Nazarene, you have won <laughs> nothing." And then he, he he dies, and Goldsmith just goes for it. He unleashes the full force of his symphonic. Symphony Orchestra and Choir. And, 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 and with that cold you're fighting, you sounded just just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's sit back and have a listen to this. This is from The Final Conflict, written by Jerry Goldsmith.
the next one on your list, and I know some people have heard the story, uh, but probably not everybody has. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of the background, and I, I think you know where I'm going to go with this, uh, concerning the unused score for 2001 A Space Odyssey that was written by Alex North. Um, I'm not talking about so much the story of you working with Jerry and in finally recording that, but the what happened at the time when the movie was coming out. The 2001 story is is an epic unto itself. Alex was hired to write the score by Kubrick. Kubrick had been encouraged to create an original score for the films. MGM wanted an original score for the film and, in fact, actually recommended Alex North, who had previously worked with Kubrick on Spartacus. So there was a relationship between Kubrick and North from that. Okay. So Kubrick was going along with this, but with nefarious intentions because he knew he was not going to use the score in the film. So the fact that North's music wasn't in the movie had nothing to do with Kubrick being unhappy in any way with what North had done because it was predetermined that the score was not going to be in the film. The whole thing was a fake. But he never told Alex this, correct? But he never, but he never told Alex exactly. And, and so the whole thing was a fraud. He let him on, where North almost killed himself writing this score. Alex was taken to the recording session in an ambulance. He was not able to conduct himself. His orchestrator, Henry Brandt, conducted the original recording sessions Mm. and and then was told he would receive a call when, when the second half of the movie was ready for scoring. The call never came. Alex made a call to follow up and say, so when am I getting the other scenes? And he was told that the decision had been made that only sound effects and breathing effects would be used to complete the score rather than a score to accompany okay. the visuals in the second half. Mm-hmm. So, so then that was the end of the composing aspect of the score and the recording sessions. So then were, were done time passed. And then the ultimate premiere of the film the screening in New York took place with Alex and his wife, Anna attending the screening Alex expecting to hear his score and hearing Strauss. And he bolted from his seat. He stood up in shock at what was happening and then fell back into his seat, just stunned and broken over the treatment of his music and, and the treatment to him yeah. where he was never even told. And, and it's a masterpiece work. It's not, a, it's not a footnote. So this was unheard music. It was unknown music. And it took 25 years for anyone in the world to to ultimately hear it. After I started visiting Alex in the late 80s and, and 1990 and, and talking to him about new recordings. And I brought up 2001, even though everyone knew 2001 was a topic you're not supposed to bring up with him. <laughs> but I did. And then on a subsequent visit to him, you know, he walked behind the piano be- before lunch one day and picked up a, a stack of scores wrapped in brown paper and walked over to me and put his 2001 manuscripts in my hands with his blessing to do the recording. Wow. And they almost vibrated. You know, it was so exciting. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was holding and that this was the beginning of what became the world premiere recording and release of Alex North's unused music for 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was Jerry he, uh... Yeah, did, was he able to uh, uh, to hear it finally? No, sad, sadly ah. not. He 
he passed away and uh, the recording didn't happen until January of 1993. And Jerry and I went to London, recorded in Studio One at Abbey Road with a 105-piece symphony orchestra. Wow. It was beyond words, the whole experience, hearing that music come to life and then introducing it to the world and letting, letting people hear. Yeah, and, I bet that was letting, special. Yeah, letting people hear, the world hear for the first time, this masterpiece score, this, this new, this lost opus from a one of film music's greatest composers in history. And it is, it is so powerful, so groundbreaking would have, would have been so influential had it actually been used in the film. But that was history that could never be undone. Has anybody, I'm curious, has anybody ever kind of sometimes, you know, fans just with video editing software, we could lay in a new music track. Are you aware of anyone that's ever tried to do that? Well, there's been some of that, and some of that is possible, but not to the degree of, for example, being able to put the entire score against the film, because the movie was still being edited at the time when Kubrick was changing course and, and taking right. Nor- Norse music out and returning to his classical music selections. Wow. So, so the film as cut that people know now just... It can't actually hold the score in the way that North wrote it because it was a different version of the film that North wrote his music for. Okay, but um, but there are scenes, there are there are certain scenes that can point us in the direction. We'll we'll sync up well enough that it gives us a glimpse of what it could have been. And we actually did premiere a live performance of the space station docking queue to picture. At the Ghent, uh, in Ghent at the World Soundtrack Awards in concert last year, mm. uh, la- last October with Dirk Brasse uh, conducting the Brussels Philharmonic. And I gave a seminar uh, before the performance, and it was so exciting to see that happen and hear that performance. Really I, moving and beautiful. And, and we've, we've, there's a larger suite of Alex's music that we've done in concert as well in Tenerife at Fima Cité years ago and, and elsewhere. But this was the first time to actually perform a cue live to picture and present, present the music in that way. Right. Well, let's, uh, let's have a listen to this. This is, uh, as he mentioned, it's a cue from the unused score that Alex North had written for 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the, uh, uh, yeah, the queue is called Space Station Docking. Sit back and enjoy.
Is there, are there any scores out there that, for whatever reason now, still haven't been released uh, or deserve a re-recording that, you know, one or a couple of them that you can think of that you would... Oh, <laughs> so many more than one or... Maybe may not be involved or... in it, but it's just kind of on your wish list that you'd like to see no, so many more than one or a couple. There's there's still a lot to do. There's a lot of great film music that's never been released. Wow. Uh, there's there's obscure pieces of Alex Norris. I mean, the thing with the great composers were were so prolific and were always great composers. So they would write a wake up every morning and write whether they had a great movie or not, whether they had a, any movie or not. They would mm-hmm. create create works and but Jerry Goldsmith for example was just always working on film. And so there's still early 60s and 70s scores of his that have never been released. There's so many of his TV work. That's what amazed me, I think, in his early days. Wasn't he like a contract composer for one of the studios and a lot of these live programs? He'd have to come up with music for a half hour or an hour program. And he'd have like, you know, five or seven days in order to compose it and record it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And before that radio, I mean, he traveled, traversed all of the the mediums of he started in radio. Then he did television with shows like Thriller and The Twilight Zone and Gunsmoke and and um, The Man from Uncle. And he was just incredible at everything he did. And then, of course, his feature film career developed and took him off on a on another adventure. And so he wasn't able to keep writing for, for television the way he had been. And, and obviously radio changed as well. But even if you listen to his early radio scores, an episode of a William Conrad show called 1489 words that he wrote the music for, and it's just phenomenal. And again, as I said earlier, just so sophisticated, we're right out of the gate. He was a fully formed version of Jerry Goldsmith. He didn't need to grow into himself, although he did throughout his life and career he grew musically but that growth wasn't required for him to achieve greatness he came right out of the gate as a oh my goodness where has this voice come from where has this guy come from this is (laughs) phenomenal and i've talked to musicians and other composers who who witnessed the emergence who were in los angeles at the time when jerry goldsmith burst onto the scene and they talk about that of just everyone everyone's jaw dropping and uh being in awe of this this new voice this new talent that was just exploding right from the beginning yeah i'm I'm switching gears i'm curious if since you're involved in the industry maybe have a better sense or feel for this than than i would do you think are the are the days of owning physical media fast disappearing and and i guess what i mean by that is that it you won't go out and buy a cd anymore where you actually have something you can hold everything will be downloaded and stored on your computer you you think that's eventually where it's going or is still Mm. having something physically in your hand or up on the shelf still still a market for that well we will see let's put it that way i mean i certainly I am so connected to the idea of, of physical media and and also seeing the the opportunities that makes where, again, just in Tenerife just a few days ago and following the Cinema Morricone recital, both the flutist and the pianist, Sarah Andon and Simone Padrone, sat at a table in the lobby and, and autographed CDs for people. And so they were selling CDs 
right next to that. But it gave people the opportunity of both getting their autograph, being able to pose for photos, and then also to tell the performers themselves how much the the recital and performance had meant to them and sharing stories. And without music, without the CD in existence where it can serve that purpose of giving giving something physical that the artist can sign for people, those exchanges and you know interchanges just wouldn't happen in the same way. And that's only one one example of the things we would lose if physical media disappears. Yeah. Uh, I think there will always be the discs that certainly that exist now and have been produced out there. Hopefully things will continue being being released, but it is getting harder and harder because the market has become more difficult to kind of maneuver and finding a large enough segment of the public that still buys physical media is making it difficult to keep producing CDs in the way that mm. that we have for so many years. So I'm with you if you're on that page of kind of hoping that this continues and and oh, I am then then I I I support the notion uh, and will continue to to push as much as I can for physical releases of the projects I'm involved with. But it's getting it is getting harder and harder and kind of requiring conversations and uh, and pushing in order to to get certain things released in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at your box set that uh, you did, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, a 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, lo- I love this uh, and fabulous recordings and those sorts of things but the booklet you know i just love yeah. reading the background and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and i just can't see i mean i don't think my daughter i don't even think my my daughter loves by the way she loves film music but she also loves pop music as well but you know what i and if i think about it i don't even know if she's ever bought a cd i think wow. she's downloaded everything wow yeah and it's, i don't it's you know i'm just wondering if that's so- yeah of course, we you know we have to be open to changing times and changing ways of people absorbing music. But it's not without a cost, and and it is a this is a difficult transition because there are definitely things that are lost along the way. So uh, I do have you know reservations of the the path that things seem to be to be going. Definitely concerns and. Uh, in that world, but yeah. hopefully we'll, you know, we'll find a uh, new ground to, to have under our feet and support us and at least making uh new, re- continually continuing to make new recordings and have those available, hopefully physically as well as digitally to have the wider market at large uh, yeah. taken care of. You, uh, on your list, you also uh, have another project that I think you worked on, because it wouldn't. Uh, this must be a re-recording. It's the uh, the love thing from Superman the movie, uh, with the uh, Royal Scottish National Orchestra conducted by Job Debney. Now, I mean, I'm assuming you could have chosen the the original recording, but you chose this one. I mean, and and again, I don't. I this is not hard to understand. You were proud of your own work, but it, was there something extra or uh, special to you of choosing this particular recording of the love theme from Superman? Yeah, well, again, the Superman score is one of my all-time favorites. And, of course, I grew up loving the original recording that John did with the London Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. But, of course, that was recorded in 1978. 
And so sonically, there were limitations. And certainly years ago, the the original, if we go back to the original Superman soundtrack, there are limitations sonically in in that recording. And my recording with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra done kind of 20 years later, there's no question that the Royal Scottish National Orchestra is on par with the London Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are all jointly some of the greatest players in the world. So we had we had this phenomenal orchestra and then the circumstance of my doing a new recording of largely the complete score from Superman with Debney conducting. And the love theme has just always been one of my favorite pieces from that score. And we, we really received such a beautiful performance that just wraps you in this, in this glorious John Williams melody and sound. And John himself was very, John Williams himself was very happy with it. I've got a beautiful copy of the CD from him, which he autographed saying, uh, you know, dear Robert with much appreciation. And uh, so that's so moving for me. And, uh, and, and it was just such a treat to be able to, to tackle again, one of my favorite scores of all time and give my own take on it, presenting cues that had never been released before on that album. And that was a double album when it came out, wasn't it? Yeah, I think a, yeah, a, a double album and uh, adding lots of music that no one had ever heard on CD before, and so it was very special to me. Featured the great Bob Peak artwork in the packaging and liner notes that I wrote, and so yeah, beautiful experience and one of my favorite, most beautiful love themes of all time, the love theme from Superman. And well, all right, well, let's uh, let's have a listen to that particular piece of music again, written by the maestro John Williams.
I'm not going to embarrass you by asking how old you are, but I, I but looking at the pictures, I'm going to say you're still a relatively young man. And yeah. and yet you have a <laughs> yeah, darn right I am, yeah. Um <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to go over the top of this, but it's just absolutely amazing what you've been able to accomplish in a, in a really practically speaking, a relatively short career. And I'm curious, do you, it doesn't have to be about producing, you know, recordings or producing albums, but is there any kind of generalized advice that you could give others that, one or two things maybe that you think that has allowed you to experience a lot of the success that you've had? Uh, sure. I, I mean, for me, it's been the burning passion inside me that fires everything that I do. I, I still am so ambitious, have so many ideas. I still look on every new recording, every, to me, it feels like the first one still, <laughs> I, and I, I, I say that genuinely and sincerely because every new album I release, it is the first time for that one. It doesn't get old. I feel as as passionate about music and recording and concerts today as I did at the very beginning of my career. At the beginning of my career, I had I, I could never have imagined where things have what things have developed into now, of course, the the world out there for great film music is is just so exciting and and I've been so lucky to be able to kind of work with the people I've worked with celebrating all of what we love the composers we all hold so dear and working with those composers but what is it that you've learned I guess that that could translate to outside of that world that might be some things that that you feel have learned that that have helped you realize that dream that you could pass on to others that's what i'm kind of curious about well is, I, it, is I, it choosing is it you know knowing that you have a passion for something and somehow find a way to make a living connecting that passion is or is it something else you know yeah no i think it's it's that and also just having the the personality to not take no for an answer to be to be <laughs> driven and ambitious and and keep pushing yourself to be um yeah they just the, to keep the ambition alive to always be reaching it's not about not being you know happy with what's come before but but never to be satisfied to the point where you like sit back and go okay i've done it you know mm -hmm. i've done a lot i've been so lucky to do as much as i have but i in no way feel done or that that okay there that's it for me there's so much more future than what is in the past even aside from the fact that well yeah there's a lot in the past at this point but it doesn't mean it's over it's not even close to over it's so much more to come and and you know new chapters and and opportunities in in the world of film music i'm always fired by new ideas over the years of kind of creating projects Film music is in a lot of ways even the launching point to some of my concepts where one of the projects I created years ago was called Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, where I had Joel McNeely. I commissioned an original score myself from Joel McNeely for a Star Wars project, a Star Wars book called Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. And I reached out to Lucasfilm and I got them to support the project and, and endorse creating this this work that we did record in in scotland and joel wrote a symphonic work in 
10 movements that was inspired by the characters and sequences in this novel and did such a brilliant job. And well, uh, oh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Well, so, let's, yeah, let's so have a listen to like that. that. Yeah. Uh, this was a, a score that you commissioned for this book and it's written by Joel McNeely. It's Star Wars Shadows of the Empire.
So you were talking about there's still plenty to do. I'm curious, what's in what's in your immediate future then? Uh, what what can we share with with our audience that you've maybe got in the pipeline? Oh, the and you know until they're and until they're officially announced, I'm unfortunately never able to talk about things in the pipeline. But my goodness, it is an exciting pipeline on <laughs> on, on both fronts: concerts and <clears throat> concerts and recordings. And so, you, so you're and still thought, involved with recordings, even though you, you stepped away from Varez? Absolutely. Varez was only the outlet. It wasn't me. So I am still me, 
I'm just not at Perez anymore. <laughs> so my, my new recording, my newest recording is on Sony Classical, and I'm doing more things with Sony Classical. And so the era of uh, myself at Perez Saraband and that connection, which, of course, lasted for a glorious 30 years, 1,500 albums, incredible relationships with all these amazing composers, so much history, so much beautiful history. So that was the first 30 years, so much more to come, not at Verez anymore, but film music continues and my passion for it is, is unending. Yeah. And so if people want to find out more about you or what you're working on, is there like a website or something they can visit? Uh, yes, there will be a new website coming online towards the end of the year for Robert Townsend Productions. That's my new company. And so it's the new home for all activity that I undertake, again, for recordings and concerts. concerts. Yeah. And you, and you also have a Facebook page, too, I think, correct? Where yes, you, uh, exactly. On, on Facebook and Twitter, on Instagram. I'm on, you know, all the social media platforms. As I say, the new website towards the end of the year that will have photos from the concerts and videos and whatnot and also clips from recordings and there'll be lots of things chronicled on yeah. uh, on the site as they are you know kind of following my my adventures on facebook is probably <laughs> the social media page that i keep up with the most where where i'm able to really kind of chronicle things in detail kind of writing longer accounts and and reactions to special evenings and performances and film music history of things that i can share with people that might be brought up or inspired by a certain event today but be tied to something special from the past and i have an archive of film music history in my on you know my hard drives and and in boxes that I like sharing with people as events warrant as well. Right. Well, needless to say, I, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, finding time in your busy schedule was very challenging, but all the more worth it uh, based on the things that we've talked about today. And on top of that, you've been a real trooper as you're fighting through a cold right now. So uh, I can't begin to thank you enough for your fabulous selections of, of scores, but also for, all the great work that you've done for fans like me that, that love this genre of music. And we're just so grateful that there are people like you that are out there that are trying to make sure that everything that deserves to get heard does get heard. So my, uh, my thanks to you for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Frank. We all share a passion for this great music and the composers who write it. And, um, and it's a great adventure for us to all, you know, just continue following together film music is is moving and passionate and you know triumphant and intimate and all of these things and uh and that's what you know i think what keeps us all going it's the the beautiful emotions that is um the human spirit all conveyed through music yeah well again my sincere thanks to you for joining us uh and also to our uh, audience again we appreciate your support please uh, like our programs and share them if you will and as you all know i do have a facebook page as well what's the score which will update you on any future programs um that's going to do it for us today there's only one thing left to say and that's simply this my name is frank r wilson my time's up i thank you for yours thanks for listening to what's the score